Professor Grunsplatter's Spookatorium. I am your curator, Professor Grunsplatter. Beyond these doors crouch the wonders, horrors, and wry smiles of an uncanny world. This world, your world. Should you choose to come inside, the sounds and stories that the shadows tell will be yours to behold. Make no mistake, it is a place of questions, not answers. A place where the tickle in your belly or the twitch in your eye simply mean you're paying attention. But then if you weren't curious, you wouldn't be here. There will be no refunds once you enter. Thank you for your attention and the brave ones.
Greetings. Welcome to episode 41 of Professor Gruntsplatter's Spookatorium. The show opened with Ola Cranon and the track Clusters, and following that was Street Cleaver with To Remain Untethered from the False Positive release. Uh, in a little bit, I'll have some info and a short story from the somewhat obscure weird fiction writer Edward Lucas White, uh, but now this is Torn.
That was Bracked with X from the Erosion release, and before that was Violent Grief with a track called Strength in Pain off the new release Better to Have Never Been, which is based around the ideas uh, presented in Thomas Ligotti's book, The Conspiracy Against the Human Race, and it is uh, very good and worth checking out. Um, and then opening the set was Torn with Grethen, and that is from the 2017 EP of the same name. Scratching for ways to define the ineffable, humanity's fever to understand the other finds voice through its artistry. Edward Lucas White was born in 1866 in New Jersey and passed away in 1934 in Baltimore, where he'd spent most of his adult life after attending college at John Hopkins. Uh, he taught classics at the University School for Boys in Baltimore, and while he published a number of detailed historical novels, it's his strange tales that have earned him a spot on the shelves of literary history. He had two volumes of short fiction published during his life, the Song of the Sirens in 1919 and Lukundu and other stories in 1927. His stories relied heavily on his own dream life and are often woven with that dreamlike surrealism. White died by suicide in 1934 from gas inhalation on the seventh anniversary of his wife's passing, and his final work, published in 1932, was entitled Matrimony, about his marriage. Uh, Lukundu seems to be his tale that has been most anthologized and earned the praise of no less than H.P. Lovecraft and other luminaries over the years. I actually haven't read that one, although the synopsis of it is sounds outstanding. Um, it's not in the collection of his work that I have. Um, there have been a few reprint collections published that are still available, it looks like. The collection I have is called uh, Sesta and Other Strange Stories that was published by Midnight House. I think my personal favorite from that is The Tooth. It is a tale of mysterious dentistry, curious trinkets, matrimonial bargains, and a, a curse that leads to insanity and death. And it achieves a sort of transcendent weird that has stuck with me. Uh, unfortunately, that one is a bit long for our purposes here. Um, the Sesta collection also includes a few stories from his estate that had been previously unpublished at the time. And this story is one of those. This is The Voices by Edward Lucas White. Until then, I had never heard any voices. I have never heard any since. It, it was not long before Uncle Jonas found me, but at that time I knew nothing of Uncle Jonas, knew nothing of any relatives, and thought I had none. I was utterly alone, very poor and very wretched. Things were so bad that it seemed they could not be worse, and yet I was afraid they could be much worse. Despair was what I felt. I had been desperate before, and hopeless for a long time. Now I was despairing, and I felt so wicked. I knew I ought to hate him. The very thought of that letter heated my cheeks and made my eyes burn, but the fury of my hatred scared me. I did not venture to put it into words. Even my thoughts did not say it all, but I could feel the half of it. A sort of dull, unprayerful prayer. I dared not admit that it was a curse, beating with my pulses somewhere at the back of my mind. Strike him dead. Strike him dead. I could not get away from it. Out of any momentarily absorbing task or duty, I emerged with a shock of horror into the consciousness of that insistent iteration. At first I comforted myself by thinking it would fade away, but it grew worse. From feeling it with my senses, I came almost to hear it with my ears. Then, one night, I had fallen into an uneasy drowse after several spasms of sobbing. I woke full of discomfort on my lumpy pillow, wet with my tears and smelling of old feathers. I woke full of misery in every way, startled with the conviction that someone had spoken in my room. I listened rigid. I seemed to hear from the farthest corner if such a box of a room could be said to have a farthest corner. A voice repeating, Strike him dead. Strike him dead. It was not a mere idea, it was a distinct voice, a definite voice, a voice with a character and individuality, and I heard it all night. I did not sleep at all. I heard it as I went to work, and as I worked, 
Naturally, I worked badly and I had not been doing my work any too well for some time. I was reprimanded and warned that I should lose my place if I did no better. And how could I do better with that voice in my ears? And when I started home and saw him watching for me as I left, the violence of my hate and the insistence of the voice redoubled. The voice kept on for days and it frightened me. I did not see how I could endure it and remain myself and retain my senses. My fright grew into terror, but when the voice faded and became blurred and intermittent, I found I was more terrified by its diminution than by its persistence. I wondered was my hatred weakening? I felt sure it was not, for I felt tornadoes of rage at the sight of him. He was always about when I went home, and though he never accosted me or even approached me, I felt all the more insulted by his mere proximity. He seemed coolly, unhurriedly waiting for me to give in and speak to him. A glimpse of him so infuriated me that my sight blurred and my outlook dimmed as if a fog were about me. I did not see the pavement or what I trod on, stumbled over curbs and blundered into lampposts. The only consideration that softened me at all towards him was that, apparently, he was affected the same way at the sight of me. I told myself that it was a mere pose on his part, and there was no reality in the feelings he pretended. Yet I felt softened and hated myself for feeling so, and hated him all the more. I knew that there was no chivalry, no honor, not even any decency about him, and that he was all coarse and brutal, and the voice echoed in my brain, strike him dead. I felt that I would be justified in killing him, would kill him if I dared, ought to kill him, that I should be glad if he were dead, that I wished him dead, that the voice was right. I was working overtime and rose early and was late getting to bed. Yet I slept badly and the voice, like a living being speaking in my bedroom, more than once woke me in my hard narrow cot. Then, one night, I did not see him when I started home. This raised my spirits, which were a bit raised already because I had just been paid and had received a trifle more than I had expected for my overtime. I was too late to get anything to eat from where I lodged. I went to a cheap restaurant, far from full at that hour, where I sometimes ate. Its custom was to pay the waitress. I knew just what I had to pay, took the change from my satchel as the waitress went to the desk for my check, and put on my jacket before she returned. I gave her the money and started out. As soon as I reached the sidewalk, I heard a voice, the very voice of my nightly terror, say behind me, Go back. I turned. No one was behind me. I looked up and down the street. No one was near. The voice came again. Go back. Go back quick. I obeyed it, pushed through the plate glass revolving door, and hurried up the aisle between the tables. I met a thin, sour-faced woman in black carrying my satchel. At the sight of it, I almost fainted. For an instant, all the room was gray except her hard, ugly face. Oh, thank you so much, I cried. I had forgotten it. Thank you so much for bringing it after me. Bringing what? She rasped out in a metallic voice. My bag, I said. Your bag, she sneered. I like your impudence. This is my bag. The world spun around me. I could only grasp. It is mine. I left it. You insulting hussy, she snarled. Let me by and attempted to pass me. I was desperate. All my money was in that bag. I had been told the day before that unless I paid my overdue board... I would be turned out of my poor lodging. I had no friends, no acquaintances, almost no clothes. I backed up against the door and screamed. The big fat blonde girl who had waited on me was beside us in an instant. What's wrong, she queried. I left my bag, I almost sobbed. That is it, and I pointed. Stuff, said the woman. The girl's crazy. This is my bag. And then the proprietor had hurried up. Before he had time to speak, the fat blonde broke out. This woman's trying to steal this girl's satchel. I saw the girl bring it in. Hand it over, said the proprietor. We know you. Hand it over and get. He took it and gave it to me. I clutched it and fled out into the street. As I hurried home, I caught sight of him. A hot shudder inundated me. What would have been my fate had I not recovered my bag? He knew, I fancied, and I knew, though I would not let the thought shape itself. And if I had escaped, I had only voice to thank. One Sunday, several weeks later, I had been so exhausted that I had gone back to bed after my breakfast and had slept heavily until dinner. After dinner, I felt the need for fresh air. My feet were puffy and tender, and I dreaded the pain of walking. 
was cold weather and I needed high shoes. I put on the only pair I had, old and with thin worn soles. I adjusted my hat and then I hesitated. My gloves were so old and worn and soiled. I mastered my pride and opened my room door. As I stepped out, I heard behind me the same unspeakable voice. Put on your overshoes. I stopped and looked back into the room. No one was there. Of course. I shut the door and went down the hall. At the head of the stairs, I heard it again. You have forgotten your rubbers. I glanced around involuntarily before I thought I stopped. Then I reflected that if I once yielded and began to heed imaginary voices, my self-control, my very reason would be in danger. I went on downstairs. Just as I reached the front door, I heard the voice again, as if from the head of the stairs, and while it was still the same peculiar voice, it had a tone of solicitude and concern I had not caught in it before. Go back upstairs and put on your rubber overshoes. I stood at the door and looked out, there was no fresh snow, the pavements were barely damp, and while the sky was overcast, it was not raining, nor did it look threatening. My feet hurt me terribly, and the rubbers would be heavy and heating. I put my hand on the knob, and I dragged myself painfully back to my room, and I obeyed the voice. Outside, on the flag sidewalks, my feet did not hurt me much, but as I crossed each street, every unevenness in each Belgian block caused me exquisite suffering. One street was paved with asphalt, and I rejoiced over my immunity from the pain as I crossed it. I had gone not many blocks when I came to a street corner where two streams of promenaders intersected. There was some little crowding just there, and on each pavement corner, a knot of lads clustered about one of the poles which carried the numerous overhead wires. As I edged my way past, or through the groups, and was about to cross the street, I caught sight of him. The world spun around me as usual and I had the same sensation of groping through a blurred environment, walking on I knew not what. Yet I did notice the kindly smoothness of the damp asphalt, and perceived on his face the look that seemed to come from a real or assumed bewilderment akin to my own. As we were about to pass each other, after a course of outcries, yells, and warnings arose, at the next step I was conscious of a sharp discomfort in my left foot, as if I had trodden on a cane or a pencil. At the same instant, I felt myself roughly seized and dragged back. I was looking at him, and our eyes did not meet, for there was no glance or gaze in his eyes. He did not fall. It was as if he stiffened, and someone tilted him sideways to the pavement. Only after he thudded there did I resent the hands that held me. I saw the sleeve of a policeman's uniform, and I did not so much as look around. I was looking at him, at the soles of his shoes, which were damp, as mine would have been had I not been wearing my rubbers. And then I saw what he had stepped on what I had stepped on, for the sparks crinkled out of it where it touched the wet places on the asphalt, and the crowd stood back from it and from him. I stared at those damp souls, at his attitude, lying there so still. I knew I had not been the cause of it, that my hatred, that the voice I had heard echoing in my unspoken imprecation had no effect on his fate, yet I felt like a murderess. And as I viewed the finality of his fortuitous pose, I realized that mine would have been even as his, but for my heeding the voice.
Aquarium exists to showcase music and ideas. I am not an expert at anything, and I have no agenda beyond fostering curiosity. The show is not monetized on any platform. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. A video version is available on the Cryonic Mind YouTube page. If you can like, subscribe, comment, etc., it helps the show's visibility. If your music was featured here and you'd prefer it was not, let me know and I will remove it from the feed. You can reach the show at spookatorium at gmail.com. The website can be found at spookatorium.org, and your comments are always welcome. Thanks very much for spending some time here.
That was Inslaughter Natives with Angel Meat from the Enter Now the World record. And before that was Isotropia with Falling in Slow Motion. And to open the set uh, was The Cranes with Thursday. And this one is from a project called Still Undunkel. This is Colossus.
That was Grim Hecka with Mystery of the Crooked Pines from the Village of the Forlorn release, and before that was Still Undunkle with Colossus. And that is about all of that for this episode. Thank you, as always, for checking it out. And to play us out today, this is High Strange with Black Hands. <laughs>